Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. I'm excited about bringing the Word to you today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, if you spend any time around children, one of the things that you're going you're gonna to find out is that children are brutally honest. Do you know what I'm talking about? I love how honest kids are because it just puts you in check. You know what I mean? Uh, you, you think that you're, that you're doing well and a, and a kid will, they'll point out the one thing that you're not doing well, you know? They just, they see everything. And you know what else I love about kids is that they don't use too many filters. It's just, you get everything straight. Uh, and, and you know, kids, another beautiful thing about kids is that um, their emotions, you know exactly what they're thinking and feeling right in that moment. Because their emotions are right on their sleeves. Uh, if you're a parent, and praise God, we're kind of, we're, we're, our kids have kind of graduated from this, praise the Lord. But I remember when they were younger, one of the things that would happen is that the minute that you would say, hey, and it's time for bed. You, you just declared war in your home, you know. You say it's time for bed, and, and kids then, you, you see the, you know, the, the lip starts to quiver. And then all of a sudden, everything is a problem. The day was awful. The day was terrible. Everything is wrong with life. You know, it's like, it's, you say, you need to go to bed. I need a drink of water. No, you already had three drinks of water. And you know what happened last time when you did that too late. And, you, you know, you, you can't have a drink of water. And, and, and then it's just the tears are just flowing. And, you know, I think, I think that as parents, like, we could kind of laugh about that because... You know, we, we, we're obviously much more sophisticated. Um, and, uh, and so when we see children responding so emotionally, one of the things is like, well, we, we don't do that anymore because we're, we're more mature. But I, I, think, I think that there's something respectable about a child being really honest about what they feel. Now, I am not suggesting that if uh, every time you go to sleep, you should cry. I'm not suggesting that. But maybe what's happened is that we actually didn't get better at expressing our emotions. We got better at hiding them. A lot of the times, what we do as adults is when we, when we experience something that's negative or we we have an experience that is painful. We lose someone. We're hurt with life. Our response oftentimes is not to process that. Our response oftentimes is to bury it. Our response oftentimes is to medicate it. Our response oftentimes is to just maybe ignore it to, to hopefully, hopefully it'll go away someday. But I believe that Jesus had a different way of processing his emotions. We see this in scripture. And today I wanna, I wanna pinpoint specifically how Jesus processed grief. 
how Jesus processed grief. Now, maybe you're, you're here today and you're like, man, you know, this is one of the most beautiful days of the summer and I am just not grieving right now. I, I'm, I'm happy for you. And I, I wanna just tell you today, my goal is to give everyone a tool. It's to give you something. Maybe you won't need it for today. Maybe you need to put it in your back pocket because all of us at some point or another will need to process grief and sorrow and pain. Just today, as I, as I came into the church, I didn't know that this, was, uh, that this happened. We found out today, one of our sisters uh, in the church, uh, one of her family members passed, a young man. And we still don't even know the cause. Grief, what I mean by grief, is our emotional response to loss. Our emotional response to loss. Now, there's lots of different ways that we can experience grief. And, and what I found is that in the church, we don't hear about it too much because for good reason, uh, most we, we often talk about joy. We often talk about how God is working in our life. And if you talk to Christians and you ask them how they're doing, it's, um, it's almost always good right? We, we tend to, we tend to um, err on the side of positivity. And, you know, to be honest with you, I don't think that that's a problem. I think that that's actually good. However, we all need to understand that it's important for us to process grief the way that Jesus did, to process loss. We could be positive, but what about when you don't get the job that you were hoping you were going to get? What about when you lose your job? What about when your marriage ends in divorce? What about when a loved one betrays you? What about when you're abused when you're young and you lose your innocence? What about when your dreams don't come true? What about the things that that product that you just designed doesn't get used? What about the, the project that you're given at work that you fail in? What do you do when these things happen in life? How do we process it? Because whether it's at a small degree or a great degree, like losing a loved one, grief is something, loss is something that all of us experience. What is it? It's the emotional processing of loss. That's what grief is. And, and here's where it comes from. You see, when sin entered the world, that's where grief and loss entered as well. In Genesis chapter three, verse 14, it says, so the Lord said to the serpent, this is after Adam and Eve took the forbidden fruit and they ate it in disobedience of God. This is, this is the, the, the consequence of this. The Lord said to the serpent, the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you, are, um, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And listen to this. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The reality is, is that we win in the end. We don't mourn like the world mourns because we have hope. We have hope that Jesus wins in the end. It's, it's not even a, 
a contest. There's no question mark about the victory of Jesus. Jesus wins in the end. But the reality that all of us have to come to terms with is that the enemy will strike his heel. You see, we live in a world where the enemy gets a vote. We live in a world where the devil will attack us. We live in a fallen and broken world because sin entered it by our own volition. So, Jesus came so that all sin, all loss, all destruction could be overturned. It's important to understand this as well. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says this. It says, He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus was a man of sorrows? Isaiah prophesied that he would be a man who was acquainted with grief. Jesus experienced loss more than any of us can even understand loss. Jesus was looking over Jerusalem and his own people, and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, would that you have come and come under my wings like little chicks with a mother bird, but you would not. He was rejected by his own people. He was rejected by his own family. He was rejected by his best friends. He was betrayed by the people he was closest to. And then finally, God turned his face away from him. Jesus understood rejection. Jesus understood grief and loss more than any of us. And if you're here today and you're wondering if God understands your pain, the answer is he experienced your pain. He doesn't just understand it. He's been there. You have a brother, and his name is Jesus. So, if grief and sorrow are the emotional responses to loss, then how do we process this? What are we to do? Well, society would tell you that suffering is to be avoided at all costs, especially in America. I mean, there's things, uh, you know, I've even seen like they they have these uh, massage guns, you know, that they sell right now. Just in case you can't get a massage from someone else, you could buy a gun. You could do it to yourself. There's any pain that you have. It needs to be alleviated. If you have an issue or if you have a problem, they have a drug for it. If there's something wrong with you, immediately get it fixed. That's the society that we live in. And so when we look at the pain and the suffering in life, we need to understand that we're not always going to be able to get rid of it, even if we can soothe it. What we have to do is we have to understand how to process it. You know, um, grief, sorrow, grief and sorrow has never killed anyone, but running from it has killed a lot of people. 
Grief and sorrow is not something that is going to kill you. But if you run from it, it can destroy you. So what does Jesus do? Well, I want to I look in the scripture and I want to look at a text here. This is a, typically, um, maybe you've heard this story before, but maybe you didn't understand the context of what happened here. I'm going to read to you the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. But there's an interesting context to this story. You see, before Jesus fed the 5,000, he had just received some of the worst news of his life. His, his good friend, his cousin, his family member, John the Baptist, had just been murdered. And John the Baptist, you have to understand the relationship between Jesus and John the Baptist. Jesus says that there is no man like John the Baptist. He's the greatest. That's what Jesus said about him. He's the greatest. And, and when Jesus looked at John the Baptist, he was probably the only person on earth that really understood who Jesus was and what Jesus was going through. He probably understood it better than anyone else. And although Jesus didn't have any peers, if there was someone that was close, John the Baptist would have been the closest to a peer that Jesus had. He was a prophet that was alive during the time that Jesus was our prophet, priest, and king. So John the Baptist understood him. They both led ministries. They both had disciples. And Jesus receives news that John the Baptist had been brutally murdered. So this is the context to this passage. Let's read in verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. I just love that. Don't have time to preach it, but I love it. And they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now listen to this. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves from the wind. For the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be 
afraid. Let's pray. Jesus, today we want to learn from you. You are our teacher and our rabbi. So Lord, all the things that you do, we want to do them. How you process grief, we want to process grief. How you handle your emotions, we want to handle ours. So we ask you, oh God, Lord, to unpack this, this passage for us. Holy Spirit, begin to show us what you're doing. We believe that your blood, Jesus, is flowing and is able to cleanse us, is able to wash us. Holy Spirit, you are the great comforter. So we ask that you would come and comfort and touch and heal and move us, oh God. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I want to encourage you to understand today, is that our grief is redeemed when we process with God. Our grief is redeemed when we process with God. Look at the first thing that Jesus was trying to do. Maybe you've never caught this in this story, but Jesus was on his own. He got the news, he was, he was devastated by the news, and he went off on his own. He left, and what happened? People saw him, and they went after him. These people, they, they might have known, they might not have known what was going on in his life, but have you noticed that even when you're grieving and even when you're processing life, life still goes on. People don't stop for you. Have you noticed that? There's no, there's not a, there's not a parade for you when you experience loss. People are going on with their own lives, even if yours seems to have stopped. And so, what is the first thing that Jesus did? Well, the first thing that Jesus was trying to do is he was trying to get alone to pray. He was trying to go to a desolate place, the scripture says. And here's the first thing that I believe Jesus is teaching us. It's that prayer is processing that brings perspective. Prayer is processing that brings perspective. What do I mean by that? Well, when you pray, what you're doing is you're talking to God. That's the most basic uh, definition of prayer. And so when you talk to God, sometimes you talk to him in formal ways. Sometimes you pray for your meal and you're just grateful. Sometimes you're just walking with God and you're experiencing him. And then there's other times where you're really, really honest with God. This is a place that a lot of us don't often get to. We don't often get to the place where we're very honest with God because it's intense. And we feel like maybe we're being disrespectful and maybe there's things that we can't say. But I have news for you. If you've read through the Psalms and the prophets, you'll understand that the people of God have not had a hard time being honest with God. They've said all sorts of things to God. God, you've betrayed me. God, you've taken advantage of me. God, you left me alone. God, you let my enemies be victorious over me. Where were you? They've said all sorts of things to God. And you know what? God's big. He's not intimidated. He's not overwhelmed. You know, as just as a parent is not overwhelmed when their children are upset, God's not overwhelmed when we're upset. He has perspective that we don't have. 
He knows what happens on the other end. He knows the solution that he has already set in motion. And so when we come to him, I am not suggesting that we should be disrespectful to God. That would be foolish. But I am suggesting that you should be honest. You can tell God how you feel without making accusations against him. You can tell God what you're experiencing without judging his character. You can be honest with God. He can handle it. But you know, the reality is is that that's not our first inclination. Our first inclination is when we experience pain, when we experience loss, when we lose a relationship, maybe there's a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or maybe even a marriage. When we lose something, when we lose money, a big sum of money, the first thing that we want to do is, is typically medicate the pain. You know, as a pastor, I've, I've had the privilege of doing a lot of funerals. And it depends... Um, Different funerals are, are very different. I mean, you never know what you're going to walk into when you walk into a funeral. And what I've seen is a lot of funerals, there is so much alcohol and drugs involved in funerals that it's, it's shocking. There's even some, uh, I, I've been to some funerals where there's, there's rituals where they, they put alcohol in the casket with the person that's going into the ground. There's some funerals where people are, I've seen people that are just beside themselves. They're high. They're completely out of their mind in the funeral. They don't even know what's going on. Why? Because no one wants to experience pain. We'd rather dull it. And, and you know, it's easy for us, maybe as, as believers, you say, well, I would never do that. Well, really? You wouldn't Say, you know what, I just need to retreat and let me just go and turn something on so I could just watch something so I could forget about this. You wouldn't say, you know what, let me just pull out this tub of ice cream. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Jenny's ice cream, perhaps. That's, don't get me distracted now. We can all dull the pain. You know, I, I, I remember I was, uh, I was sitting in a restaurant once and um, there was someone there that uh, you could tell that they were just beside themselves. They were so shaken up. And, and this woman was just crying. And, and her friend was across the table and she was like, hey, it's okay, come on, come on, it's okay, it's okay. You're going to be okay. It's okay. And you could tell that they were like dressed up. They were going out. And, and, and I was like, man, something's going on. And I just like felt something not good in my spirit. And I was like, I was like, Susie, you need to go talk to them. <laughs> and so she, she obviously, she didn't have a problem with that. She's, she's amazing. But I, I was like, yeah, you definitely, yeah, that one's for you. Uh, and so she went over, she started talking to them, and then she prayed over them. And when she started talking to them, this woman was just bawling. And it turns out that this poor girl, 
is there bawling and she is crying because she lost, her boyfriend died and her boyfriend used to work at this restaurant. And her friend is bringing her there because she's like, you just need to forget about it and let's just get drunk and let's forget about it. Yeah, I know, right? Sometimes your friends can be great. Sometimes they are not. But I'll tell you who always knows what to do. Jesus. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And when you honestly go and you process things with God, what happens is that there's a peace that surpasses understanding, that guards your hearts and your minds. When you bring things to the Lord, you bring things to an eternal God. You bring things to someone who has solutions. You bring things to someone who has answers, even if you don't hear them. When you're struggling, the first thing to do is to pray. Don't run from the pain. Embrace the pain and bring it to the feet of Jesus. Don't run from the things that are causing you to be feel lost. Embrace it and say, God, I want to bring this to you. I want to be honest about what's going on here. And I hate that I'm experiencing loss because did you know what? God hates it too. That's why he sent his son, Jesus, so that we wouldn't have to experience loss for all of eternity, but that we could have a hope and a future. Some of us will just work our problems away. We just keep going until we find validation or we find what we're looking for somewhere else. If we're busy, then we don't have to sit in silence. Some of us can fight our issues away. You just get angry. You get upset. And you just, all of a sudden, the world owes you something. And if you don't get that, then you're just upset at everybody. And your family pays for it. Your friends distance themselves. Some of us, we, we turn to self-pity. Because, you know, misery loves a crowd. And so, they, so we turn to self-pity because we're looking for that attention instead of trying to deal with the real issue of the loss and the pain that only Jesus can satisfy. Whatever it is, we all do something. But look at, look at in Luke 22, verse 45 through 46, look at how Jesus did this. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. This is Jesus when he's about to go to the cross. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like drops, great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he came, rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus says, guys, I know that you want to fall asleep and forget about your pain, but right now it's time to pray. It's not time to forget about everything. It's not time to push it away. It's time to pray, to bring it to the only person that can change things. Because Jesus changes everything. 
You know, sometimes we get locked up and we're actually not free to go to the next place that God wants us to go because we have held on to our pain and have not processed it. I remember talking to uh, a missionary friend of mine who serves in Syria and the atrocities that he has experienced and his people have experienced are really unspeakable. And I'm not gonna go into any detail. They're just too terrible to, to, to say. But I remember him saying there was a young boy who had uh, lost an incredible, I mean, the things that he had experienced was just uh, tremendous. It was incredible how awful the things that he had gone through were. And he stopped talking. And so when, when he was around people, he just, he wouldn't say anything. He just, he just stopped talking. And I remember asking uh, uh, this missionary I said, what do you do when people have experienced such incredible loss? And he says, well, you let them talk. And so with this little boy, what this pastor did was everyone kept saying to the boy, you know, just don't mention what happened. Just don't say anything about what happened. Just try to forget about it. But what this pastor did is he went and he said, tell me what happened. And the little boy began to tell him what happened. And this missionary is just bawling because he can't believe what he's heard. But as he's receiving this, what he's realizing is this, this young boy is being healed in that moment. Because as he is processing it, he is beginning to acknowledge what took place and he's able to hand it over to this pastor and he's able to hand it over and now he's able to hand it over to God. And this missionary says, you know, what I found is that the first time people talk about it, they're unloading for themselves. The second time, they're really processing. And then the third time, they're healing. Over time, as you begin to say it, what happens is God begins to touch you and heal you and give you perspective. So this is how... Jesus did this. Now, the, the interesting thing about this story is that Jesus, he, he went to go pray because that was the right thing to do. But life didn't stop for Jesus. And so as he's going, all of the people, they line up and they're there waiting on the shore. Can you imagine? You're like, you, you get out on a boat. I mean, you can't get farther away from people, right? He's out on a boat. He's going somewhere else. And he arrives at the shore and the largest conference that Jesus has ever spoken at is waiting for him on the shore. The largest group of people that he's ever ministered to. While he's supposed to be mourning his loss. And so he shows up and what does the Bible say? It says that Jesus saw them and had compassion. Jesus is better than you and I. In, in Matthew chapter 9, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, this is, this is, his, this is just his MO. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, the same man that killed John the Baptist was the same tyrant that was ruling over these people. 
These people were experiencing the same kind of grief that Jesus was. Jesus was experiencing it much more acutely in that moment. But these people were helpless and they didn't have someone to lead them. And so guess what? In the middle of Jesus's grief, he didn't forget his mission. I want to tell you something. Our grief does not remove our calling. What you have experienced, the pain and the suffering that you have gone through, does not remove the mission that God has placed on your life. Your calling has not gone anywhere. You see, when the devil tries to throw something at you, he's trying to cut your legs out from underneath you. But with the power of God, when you bring something to God, he gives you the authority and the compassion to be able to minister to someone else. Jesus, in the middle of his grief, he didn't forget his calling. I want to tell you something today. Keep going. Don't stop. Here's what can happen. I've watched this happen with people. It's incredibly sad. Sometimes people are so overcome with grief and they so embrace it. They so take it in and they process it so much, but they never embrace hope. And it's like an eternal affliction that they want everyone to just be on the bandwagon with them. You see, there's nothing wrong with with processing your grief. There's nothing wrong with crying. There's nothing wrong with with experiencing what, what the terrible situations that you've gone through. But you can't stay there. You can't stay in that place. Not because everyone else is mean and they don't understand. Because if you stay there, you won't fulfill the call on your life. God has things that he wants all of us to do. And we can't cry over what has happened in the past for forever. We have to be able to move forward. There's a time to grieve. And then there's a time to move on. See... Unfortunately, we think that, well, we're, we're, if, we, if we move on, we're not being loving to the people that we've lost, let's say. If I move on, it's, it's not showing respect and, and, and dignity to the people that I've lost. And if I, if I, if I move on, then, then I'm not really showing love. But here's the reality. That, that's not true. You honor the people that you love by moving forward. You don't have to forget about them. You don't have to never honor them. You don't have to not respect them. But you do have to live your life. And if you don't live your life, you become a a weight to all the people around you. And guess what? It's not right to ask people to carry that with you. At a certain point, you have to receive hope. At a certain point, you have to embrace hope. If not, you're not being honest to the reality of what has happened. You see, death is not final. Sorrow is not final. Failure is not final. And so, if you treat it as a death blow, then you'll live in death. I, I believe, you know, as I was praying, I was like, Jesus, how do you, how do you process this? Personally, 
Jesus, how did you process this? And I believe that he, he led me back to the Genesis 3 passage. He says, there's a difference between a crushed head and a bruised heel. In life, we experience bruised heels, but it's not a crushed head. We don't lose. If we're in Jesus, we don't lose. Do you know why Jesus was able to heal the sick? Even though his cousin had just been murdered? Because he says, it's not over. I win in the end. Life will prevail. Even though death is surrounding me, I am a source of life. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3-4 through four says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. There's a lot of comfort. You're able to give the comfort that you've received. But if you don't receive the comfort that God offers, you'll have nothing to give. You've got to receive what God is offering. You've got to take it as the river that's flowing. You've got to drink from that river. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. The river is flowing. Drink deeply of the comfort of God. He is the God of all comfort. It's not like you get some of your comfort from God and then some from this place or that place. No, he's the God of all comfort. He is the one-stop shop. He is the place where you get everything that you need. The band's here to remind me that I need to close. So, (laughs) praise God for them. Our grief is redeemed when we process with God. Uh, Okay, look at this. I I just love this. So Jesus is praying, uh, excuse me, Jesus dismisses the crowd. And then he tells his disciples, okay, I need you to go. So he sends them across the lake. Finally, Jesus is alone. He's alone to pray. And so he goes up on the mountain and he begins to pray. And at that point, he's able to pour his heart out before God. And I don't know what he said during that time. I don't know what was exchanged in that moment, but I do know that he gained perspective. When Jesus began to pour out his heart, the Bible says that a storm came over the lake and that the boat was hard against the waves. In other words, his disciples were in the middle of a storm outside. Well, do you know how how it was? Jesus, if there's a storm going on, you can't see through a storm. Jesus was in the same storm. Jesus, in the middle of the night, most likely rain and thunder and lightning, he's on the top of a mountain praying. In the middle of a storm, he's pouring out his heart to the Lord. And as the disciples are going across the lake, Because of the comfort that Jesus had received himself, he was able to comfort those who were in need. You see, Jesus, he showed us that your storm will become someone else's shelter. 
your storm is going to become someone else's shelter. What you're going through, someone else needs the keys on how to get through it. Someone else needs the comfort that you've received from the Lord to give to someone else. I was at Starbucks, uh, uh, which I don't drink coffee, but I was at Starbucks. I was at Starbucks this week and, and I, I was sitting down, I was writing. And as I was writing, there was a woman and I was so moved by Chrissy's message on Tuesday. And as I was writing, I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, you need to talk to this woman that's sitting across from you. And I was like, okay, about what? <laughs> and I felt like the Lord was just, just encourage her. Let her know I want to encourage her. So I said, okay, that's a starter. So I, I walk over and I said, hey, I just want to let you know, uh, I, I feel like I'm supposed to tell you that God wants to encourage you. And she just immediately got emotional. And she said, I was beginning to wonder if God had forgotten about me. I needed to hear that. And, and, and then she began to say, I believe that God has a ministry for me. I believe that God has all these things for me. And I know, and God's going to begin to open up doors for me. She said, but, but I'm, I'm not sure because I, I just... I've got, I've got all these disabilities and so I can't work and, and I said, well, what's, what's the disability? What's the problem? I've got back problems and I've got a knee problem. I said, well, let's pray. So I put my hand on her back and I'm telling you, Starbucks turned into an altar. I didn't know. I was like looking around. I was kind of like, well, here we go right here put my hand on her back, begin to pray. And we pray for her. And it was like the presence of God just came down in that moment. You could tell that God was just doing something deep in her. We began to pray for healing. We began to pray for open doors. And so I, after we pray, I said, how do you feel? And she's like, while you were praying, I felt cracks all the way from the top of my head down to the bottom of my spine. She says, there's no more pain in my back. And she said, she got up and as she was leaving, she's like, there's no more pain in my knee. I'm walking fine. God wanted to encourage her. So I got her number. We exchanged numbers. I don't know. She might even be here tonight, today. I hope she is. But she said, Thank you so much. God encouraged me today. God spoke to me today. And you know what I believe is that God allows us to go through things so that we have something to give to someone else. God, he, he allows us to experience things so that we are able to minister to someone else. Our grief is redeemed when we process with God. God wants to redeem all of the bad things. The Bible says that God wants to restore the years that the locust has eaten. The things that have been destroyed, the things that have been messed up, the relationships that are broken and torn down in your life, God wants to restore them.